I'm at chapter 20, verse 1. And it came to pass that when he had established a church in that land, the king Lamoni desired that Ammon should go with him to the land of Nephi, that he might show him unto his father. And the voice of the Lord came to Ammon, saying, Thou shalt not go up to the land of Nephi, for behold, the king will seek thy life. But thou shalt go to the land of Madoni, for behold, thy brother Aaron and also Mulekai and Amha are in prison. Now it came to pass that when Ammon had heard this, he said unto Lamoni, Behold, my brother and brethren are in prison at Madoni, and I go that I might deliver them. Now Lamoni said unto Ammon, I know in the strength of the Lord thou canst do all things. But behold, I will go with thee to the land of Madoni. For the king of the land of Madoni, whose name is Antiomno, is a friend unto me. Therefore I go to the land of Madoni, that I may flatter the king of the land, that he will cast thy brethren out of prison. Now Lamoni said unto him, Who told thee that thy brethren were in prison? And Ammon said unto him, No one hath told me, save it be God. And he said unto me, Go and deliver thy brethren, for they are in prison in the land of Madoni. And when Lamoni had heard this, he caused that his servant should make ready his horses and his chariots. And he said unto Ammon, Come, I will go with thee down to the land of Madoni, and there I will plead with the king that he will cast thy brethren out of prison. And it came to pass that as Ammon and Lamoni were journeying thither, they met the father of Lamoni, who was king over all the land. And behold, the father of Lamoni said unto him, Why? Did you not come to the feast of that great day when I made the feast unto my sons and unto my people? And he said, Whither art thou going with this Nephite, who is one of the children of a liar? And it came to pass that Lamoni rehearsed unto him whither he was going. For he feared to offend him. And he also told him all the cause of his tearing in his own kingdom, that he did not go unto his father to the feast which he had prepared. And now when Lamoni had rehearsed unto him all these things, behold, to his astonishment, his father was angry with him. And he said, Lamoni, thou art going to deliver these Nephites who are the sons of a liar. Behold, he robbed our fathers. And now his children are come amongst us that they may, by their cunning and their lyings, deceive us that they again may rob us of our property. Now the father of Lamoni commanded him that he should slay Ammon with the sword. And he also commanded him that he should not go to the land of Madoni, but that he should return with him to the land of Ishmael. But Lamoni said unto him, I will not slay Ammon, neither will I return to the land of Ishmael. But I go to the land of Madoni that I may release the brethren of Ammon. For I know that they are just men and holy prophets of the true God. And now when his father had heard these words, he was angry with him, and he drew his sword that he might smite him to the earth. But Ammon stood forth and said unto him, Behold, thou shalt not slay thy son. Nevertheless, it were better that he should fall than thee. For behold, he has repented of his sins. But if thou shouldst fall at this time, in thine anger, thou, thy soul could not be saved. And again, it is expedient... And it is expedient that thou shouldst forbear. For if thou shouldst slay thy son, he being an innocent man, his blood would cry from the ground 
to the Lord his God for vengeance to come upon thee, and perhaps thou wouldst lose thy very soul. Now when Ammon had said these words unto him, he answered him, saying, I know that if I should slay my son, that I should shed innocent blood, for it is thou that hast sought to destroy him. And he stretched forth his hand to slay Ammon, but Ammon withstood his blows and also smote his arm that he could not use it. Now when the king saw that Ammon could slay him, he began to plead with Ammon that he would spare his life. But Ammon raised his sword and said unto him, Behold, I will smite thee, except that thou wilt grant unto me that my brethren may be cast out of prison. Now the king, fearing that he should lose his life, said, If thou wilt spare me, I will grant unto thee whatsoever thou wilt ask, even to the half of my kingdom. And now when Ammon saw that the that he had wrought upon the old king according to his desire. He said unto him, If thou wilt grant that my brother may be cast out of prison, and also that Lamoni may retain his kingdom, and that they be not displeased with him, but grant that he may do according to his own desires in whatsoever thing he thinketh, then will I spare thee, otherwise I will smite thee to the earth. Now when Ammon had said these words, the king began to rejoice because of his life. And when he saw that Ammon had no desire to destroy him, and when he also saw the great love he had for his son Lamoni, he was astonished exceedingly and said, Because this is all that thou hast desired, that I would release thy brethren and suffer that my son Lamoni should retain his kingdom. Behold, I will grant unto you that my son shall retain his kingdom from this time and forever. And I will govern him no more. And I will also grant unto thee that thy brethren may be cast out of prison. And thou and thy brethren may come unto me in my kingdom. For I shall greatly desire to see thee. For the king was greatly astonished at the words which he had spoken. And also at the words which had been spoken by his son Lamoni. Therefore he was desirous to learn of them. And it came to pass that Ammon and Lamoni proceeded on their journey toward the land of Madoni. And Lamoni found favor in the eyes of the king of the land. Therefore, the brethren of Ammon were brought forth out of prison. And when Ammon did meet them, he was exceedingly sorrowful. For behold, they were naked, and their skin was worn exceedingly because of being wounded, bound with strong cords. And they had also suffered hunger and thirst and all manner of afflictions. Nevertheless, they were patient in all their sufferings. And as it happened, it was their lot to have fallen into the hands of a more hardened and more stiff-necked people. Therefore, they would not hearken unto their words. And they had cast them out and had spitten them and had driven them from house to house and from place to place, even until they had arrived in the land of Midoni. And there were taken, and there they were taken and cast into prison and bound with strong cords and kept in prison for many days, and were delivered by Lamoni and Ammon. In Alma chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now when Ammon and his brethren separated themselves in the borders of the land of the Lamanites, behold, Aaron took his journey toward the land which was called by the Lamanites Jerusalem, calling it after the land of their fathers, <laughs> Nativity. And it was away joining the borders of Mormon. Now the Lamanites and the Amalekites, and the people of Amulon had built a great city, which was called Jerusalem. 
Now the Lamanites of themselves were sufficiently hardened, but the Amalekites and the Amulonites were still harder. Therefore they did cause the Lamanites that they should harden their hearts, that they should wax strong in wickedness and abominations. And it came to pass that Aaron came to the city Jerusalem and first began to preach unto the Amalekites. And he began to preach to them in their synagogues, for they had built synagogues after the order of Nahor's. For many of the Amalekites and the Amulonites were after the order of Nahor's. And if you remember, the Nahor's were antichrist, and they believed that whatever a man did, there was no sin. Therefore, as Aaron entered into one of their synagogues to preach unto the people, and as he was speaking unto them, behold, there arose an Amalekite and began to contend with him, saying, What is that that thou hast testified? Hast thou seen an angel? <laughs> Why do not angels appear unto us? Behold, are not this people as good as thy people? And thou also sayest, Except we repent, we shall perish. How knowest thou the thought and intent of our hearts? How knowest thou that we have cause to repent? How knowest thou that we are not a righteous people? Behold, we have built sanctuaries and do assemble ourselves together to worship God. We do believe that God will save all men. Now Aaron said unto him, Believest thou that the Son of God shall come to redeem mankind from their sins? And the man said unto him, we do not believe that thou knowest any such thing. We do not believe in the foolish traditions. We do not believe that thou knowest of things to come. Neither do we believe that thy fathers and also our fathers did know concerning the things which they spake of that which is to come. And now Aaron began to open the scriptures unto them concerning the coming of Christ and also concerning the resurrection of the dead that there could be no redemption for mankind, save it were through the death and sufferings of Christ and the atonement of his blood. And it came to pass that he began to expand these things unto them. And they were angry with him, and they began to mock him, and they would not hear the words which he spake. Now, let's cross-reference to Second Nephi 28.28. 28. And in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. And he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. Back in Alma 21, verse 11. Therefore, when he saw that they would not hear his words, he departed out of their synagogue and came over to a village which was called Anianti. And there he found Mulekai preaching the word unto them, and also Amha and his brethren, and they contended with many about the word. And it came to pass that they saw that the people would harden their hearts, therefore they departed and came over unto the land of Midoni, and they did preach the word unto many, and few believed on their words which they taught. Nevertheless, Aaron and a certain number of his brethren were taken and cast into prison. And the remainder of them fled out of the land of Madonai unto the regions round about. And those who were cast into prison suffered many things. And they were delivered by the hand of Lamoni and Ammon. And they were fed and clothed. 
And they went forth again to declare the words, and thus they were delivered for the first time out of prison. And thus they had suffered. And they went forth with, with whithersoever they were led by the Spirit of the Lord, preaching the word of God in every synagogue of the Amalekites or in every assembly of the Lamanites where they could be admitted. And it came to pass that the Lord began to bless them insomuch that they brought many to the knowledge of the truth. And they did convince many of their sins and of the traditions of their fathers, which were not correct. And it came to pass that Ammon and Lamoni returned from the land of Madoni to the land of Ishmael, which was the land of their inheritance. And King Lamoni would not suffer that Ammon should serve him or be his servant. But he caused that there should be synagogues built in the land of Ishmael. And he caused that his people, or the people who were under his reign, should assemble themselves together. And he did rejoice over them, and he did teach them many things. And he did also declare unto them that they were a people who were under him, that they were a free people, that they were free from the oppressions of the king, his father, and that his father had granted unto him that he might reign over the people who were in the land of Ishmael and in all the land round about. And he also declared unto them that they might have the liberty of worshiping the Lord their God according to their desires in whatsoever place they were in, if it were in the land which was under the reign of King Lamoni. And Ammon did preach unto the people of the king Lamoni. And it came to pass that he did teach them all things concerning things pertaining to righteousness. And he did exhort them daily with all diligence. And they gave heed unto his word. And they were zealous for keeping the commandments of God. Now, so far. We have, you know, Ammon and Lamoni going to Madonai to deliver his brethren. And, you know, in route there, they meet Lamoni's father. And Ammon compels Lamoni's father, the king of the Lamanites, to release his brethren. Then, you know, Aaron and Ammon and his brethren preach and convert many. Ammon and Lamoni return and convert Lamoni's people. And in chapter 22, uh, we have the account of the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost of King Lamoni's father, the king of the Lamanites. Chapter 22, verse 1. Now is Ammon was thus teaching the people of Lamoni continually. We will return to the account of Aaron and his brethren. For after he departed from the land of Madoni, he was led by the Spirit to the land of Nephi, even to the house of the king, which was over all the land, save it were the land of Ishmael. And he was the father of Lamoni. And it came to pass that he went in unto the king's palace and his brethren. And he bowed himself before the king. And he said unto him, Behold, O king, we are the brethren of Ammon, whom thou hast delivered out of prison. And now, O king, if thou wilt spare our lives, we will be thy servants. And the king said unto them, Arise, for I will grant unto you your lives, and I will not suffer that ye shall be my servants, but I will insist that ye shall administer unto me, for I have been somewhat troubled in mind, 
because of the generosity and greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon. And I desire to know the cause why he has not come out of Madoni with thee. And Aaron said unto the king, Behold, the spirit of the Lord has called him another way. He has gone to the land of Ishmael to teach the people of Lamoni. Now the king said unto them, What is this that ye have said concerning the spirit of the Lord? Behold, this is the thing which doth trouble me. And also, what is this that Ammon said? If ye will repent, ye shall be saved. And if ye will not repent, ye shall be cast off at the last day. And Aaron answered him and said unto him, Believest thou that there is a God? And the king said, I know that the Amalekites say that there is a God. And I have granted unto them that they should build sanctuaries, that they may assemble themselves together to worship him. And if now thou sayest there is a God, behold, I will believe. And now when Aaron heard this, his heart began to rejoice. And he said, Behold, assuredly as thou livest, O king, there is a God. And the king said, Is God that great spirit that brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem? And Aaron said unto him, Yea, he is the great spirit, and he created all things, both in heaven and in earth. Believest thou this? And he said, Yea, I believe that the great spirit created all things, and a desire that ye should tell me concerning all these things, and I will believe thy words. And it came to pass that when Aaron saw that the king would believe his words, he began from the creation of Adam, reading the scriptures unto the king how God created man after his own image, and that God gave him commandments, and that because of transgression man had fallen. And Aaron did expound unto him the scriptures from the creation of Adam, laying the fall of man before him, and their carnal state, and also the plan of redemption, which was prepared from the foundation of the world, through Christ, for all whosoever would believe on his name. And the plan of redemption is the doctrine of Christ. And notice how similar the things that Aaron taught the father of King Lamoni are to the things that Ammon taught King Lamoni when he taught him. And since man had fallen, he could not merit anything of himself, but the sufferings and death of Christ atone for their sins through faith and repentance and so forth. And that he breaketh the bands of death, that the grave shall have no victory, and that the sting of death should be swallowed up in the hopes of glory. And Aaron did expound all these things unto the king. And it came to pass that after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Of what shall I do that I might be born of God? Or in other words, that I might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that I may become a son of Christ, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit, that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day. Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. And the father of King Lamoni 
brings up an important aspect of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that is that a great percentage of the natural man dies at that time as we are born again, sons and daughters of Christ. You know, he said in the middle of verse 15, that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, or that the natural man in me might die as I'm born again, a son of Christ. But Aaron said unto him, and so this is Aaron's response about how King Lamoni, or the father of King Lamoni, is to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Because the new covenant given in the Book of Mormon is actually the old covenant given to Adam and to every generation since when there has been an open dispensation. But Aaron said unto him, If thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, yea, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins, and will will bow down before God, and call on his name in faith, believing that ye shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou desirest. So, the, the path that Aaron outlines for the father of King Lamoni to come unto a broken heart and contrite spirit, that he might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, was first. He had to have the desire to be born of God. Number two, he was to cry out unto God in mighty prayer or bow down before God and submit his will to God's will. And as he is engaging in this first prayer of crying out unto God, he must repent of all his sins. And, you know, throughout the Book of Mormon, Book of Mormon prophets are constantly hearkening unto the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Gentiles of the last day, and admonishing us that we also must repent and return. And this admonishment of repenting and returning is precisely what is required to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit to receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And number three, you know, once he has cried out unto God and repented of his sins, He is to cry out again unto God and call upon his name in faith. Now, what we usually define as faith is actually hope. We usually define faith as seeking after receiving and acting on revelation. Or, pardon me, we usually define faith as belief and trust. But, and although occasionally, you know, faith is used in that context, um, that is actually what hope is. Hope is belief and trust, while faith is seeking after receiving and acting on revelation. And so, once the father of King Lamoni has repented of his sins, it's intended 
that the Spirit of God will be poured out upon him, that he might then be able to cry out in the Spirit, in the manner of seeking after and receiving revelation, which is the act of exercising faith. And then, as he is crying out unto God in faith, or seeking after receiving revelation with the intent that he will act upon the, the direction that he receives, you know, then he is to believe that he shall receive, or he is to combine hope with faith. Then you will receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or be born again. And that is what is being referred to as the hope which thou desirest. So I'll read verse 16 again. But Aaron said unto him, If thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, yea, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins, and will bow down before God, and call on his name in faith, believing that ye shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou hast desired. And it came to pass that when Aaron had said these words, the king did bow down before the Lord upon his knees. Yea, even he did prostrate himself upon the earth. And he cried mightily, saying, O God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee, and that I may be raised from the dead, and be saved at the last day. And now when the king had said these words, he was struck as if he were dead. Much like Alma the Younger, much like the sons of Mosiah, much like King Limhi and his wife and all the servants, and Ammon again with them, as you know, they were carried away in the spirit, as they received the opportunity to repent fully and mightily from their sins and come unto a broken heart and contrite spirit that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass that his servants ran and told the queen all that had happened unto the king. And she came unto the king, and when she saw him lay as if he were dead, and also Aaron and his brethren standing, as though they had been the cause of his fall, she was angry with them and commanded her servants that her servants or the servants of the king should take them and slay them. Now the servants had seen the cause of the king's fall. Therefore they durst not lay their hands on Aaron and his brethren. And they pled with the queen saying, Why commandest thou that we should slay these men? When behold, one of them is mightier than us all. Therefore we shall fall before him. And notice the similarities between the witness of the servants of Aaron and his brothers and the servants of King Lamoni and Ammon. And when the queen saw the fear of the servants, she also began to fear exceedingly, lest there should come evil upon her. And she commanded her servants that they should go and call the people, that they might slay Aaron and his brethren. And now when Aaron saw the determination of the queen, he also, knowing the hardness of the hearts of the people, feared lest 
a multitude should assemble themselves together, and there should be a great contention and a disturbance among them. Therefore he put forth his hand and raised the king from the earth and said unto him, Stand. And he stood upon his feet, receiving his strength. Now this was done in the presence of the queen and many of the servants. And when they saw it, they greatly marveled and began to fear. And the king stood forth and began to minister unto them. And he did minister unto them insomuch that his whole house were converted unto the Lord. And now there was a multitude gathered together because of the commandment of the queen. And there began to be great murmurings among them because of Aaron and his brethren. But the king stood forth among them and administered unto them. And they were pacified toward Aaron and those who were with him. And it came to pass that when the king saw that the people were pacified, he caused that Aaron and his brethren should stand forth in the midst of the multitude and that they should preach the word unto them. And it came to pass that the king sent proclamation throughout all the land amongst all his people who were all, who were in all his land, who were in all the regions round about. And now going to chapter 23 and starting in verse one, behold, now it came to pass that the king of the Lamanites sent a proclamation among all his people that they should not lay their hands on Ammon or Aaron or Omner or Himni, nor either of their brethren who should go forth preaching the word of God in whatsoever place they should be in any part of their land. Yea, he sent a decree among them that they should not lay their hands on them to bind them or to cast them into prison. Neither should they spit upon them, nor smite them, nor cast them out of their synagogues, nor scourge them, neither should they cast stones at them, but that they should have free access to their houses and also their temples and their sanctuaries. And thus they might go forth and preach the word according to their desires. For the king had been converted unto the Lord and all his household. Therefore he sent his proclamation throughout the land unto his people, that the word of God might have no obstruction but that it might go forth throughout all the land that his people might be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers. And that they might be convinced that they were all brethren and that they ought not to murder nor plunder nor steal nor commit adultery nor to commit any manner of wickedness. And now it came to pass that when the king had sent forth this proclamation, that Aaron and his brethren went from city to city and from one house of worship to another, establishing churches and consecrating priests and teachers throughout the land among the Lamanites to teach and to, to preach and to teach the word of God among them. And thus they began to have great success and thousands were brought to the knowledge of the Lord and thousands were brought to believe in the traditions of the Nephites. And they were taught the records and the prophecies which were handed down even to the present time. And as many as, and as sure as the Lord liveth, so sure as many as believed, or as many as were brought to the knowledge of truth through the preaching of Ammon and his brethren, according to the spirit of revelation and of prophecy and the power of God working miracles in them. Yea, I see unto you as the Lord liveth as many of the Lamanites as believed in their preaching and were converted unto the Lord never did fall away.
for they became a righteous people. They did lay down the weapons of their rebellion, and they did not fight any against God anymore, neither against any of their brethren. Now these are they who were converted unto the Lord, the people of the Lamanites, who were in the land of Ishmael, which was King Lamoni's land, and also the people of the Lamanites, who were in the land of Madoni, where Aaron and his brethren were uh, put in prison and, you know, stripped and subjected to all manner of torture. And also the people of the city of the Lamanites were in the city of Nephi, which was the land of King Lamoni's father. And also the people of the Lamanites who were in the land of Shilom, who were in the land of Shemlon, and in the city of Lemuel, and the city of Shimnilom. And these are the names of the cities of the Lamanites which were converted unto the Lord. And these are they that laid down their weapons of rebellion, yea, all their weapons of war. And they were all Lamanites. And the Amalekites were not converted save only one. Neither were any of the Amulonites, but they did harden their hearts and also the hearts of the Lamanites in that part of the land wheresoever they dwelt, yea, and all their villages and all their cities. Therefore, we have named all the cities of the Lamanites in which they did repent and come to the knowledge of the truth and were converted. And now it came to pass that the king and those who were converted were desirous that they might have a name, that thereby they might be distinguished from their brethren. Therefore, the king consulted for, with Aaron and many of their priests concerning the name that they should take upon them, that they might be distinguished. And it came to pass that they called their name Anti-Nephi-Lehi's, and they were called by this name, and they were no more called Lamanites. And they began to be a very industrious people, yea, and they were friendly with the Nephites. Therefore, they did open a correspondence with them, and the curse of God did no more follow them. Now, a new dispensation is when a man is again ordained and sealed to the apostolic order of the Melchizedek priesthood, or the first order of Melchizedek priesthood. If we go to DNC 84, verse 19, and this greater priesthood, the first order of Melchizedek priesthood or the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Well, as we've discussed previously, the way that this order of the priesthood holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God, is that it is able to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, to access that level of revelation in the heavens, where one is able to be instructed about how to part the veil, ascend to the seventh heaven, and enter into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And so, the way that this greater priesthood administereth the gospel is that it is able to perform baptism by water into the terrestrial order. 
and the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Baptism of water into the terrestrial order being distinct from baptism of water into the telestial preparatory gospel, which is what Nephi was performing in 3 Nephi chapter 7 before the coming of Christ. And that's why in 3 Nephi 11, Christ comes and restores a higher order of the gospel. And the Nephites who had had been demoted from the terrestrial church of Christ to the telestial preparatory gospel by the time of 3 Nephi 7 have the terrestrial order of the gospel restored back to them. As Christ gives Nephi and the 12 disciples the first order of Melchizedek priesthood. And in 3 Nephi 11, with the authority of that priesthood being ordained upon them, they can now baptize with water into the terrestrial order of the gospel. And in 3 Nephi 18, when Christ touches each of his disciples, he seals that priesthood upon them, and they, he gives them the admonition that they now go forth and baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And as a cross-reference in DNC 76, Verse 52, that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. So it's not generally known that the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost is a priesthood ordinance and is specifically a priesthood ordinance of him who has been both ordained and then later had the first order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon them. If we go to 3 Nephi chapter 18, verse 36. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of these sayings, he touched with his hand the disciples whom he had chosen, one by one, even until he had touched them all. And he spake unto them as he touched them. And the multitude heard not the words which he spake, therefore they did not bear record, but the disciples bear record that he gave them power to give the Holy Ghost. And I will show unto you hereafter that this record is true. And it came to pass that when Jesus had touched them all, there came a cloud and overshadowed the multitude, and they could not see Jesus. And while they were overshadowed, he departed from them. And he ascended into heaven, and the disciples saw and did bear record that he ascended again unto heaven. So again, this is, there are two parts to every priesthood. The first part is the ordination where a man receives authority. Then there is always a test, and only if the man passes that test does Christ seal that priesthood upon him. And that is when he gains power in the priesthood. And as we learn in DNC 76 and 3 Nephi 11 and 18, to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is not sufficient that a man just have been ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood, which, by the way, was taken from the church in 1834 when Christ took his name out of the church, and we were demoted to the preparatory gospel and the official name of the church was changed to the Church of the Latter-day Saints from the Church of Christ, and which 
God offered to restore back to the Latter-day Saints in Nauvoo, and that is recorded in DNC 124. Verse 28, when the Lord says, For as there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore, again, that which was lost unto you or which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. The fullness of the priesthood being talked about is the fullness of Christ's priesthood or the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And so back in DNC 84, this is the order of priesthood being talked about in verse 19. And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel through the baptism of water into the terrestrial order and the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom. And the way that it holdeth the key to the mysteries of the kingdom is after this ordinance, the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, one can then receive instruction about what God requires of them to part the veil and enter into his presence in the fullness of his glory, or enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory, as Nephi did in First Nephi chapter 11, and as Moses does in Moses chapter 1. Also, before a man is permitted to have an ascension experience and enter into the rest of the Lord. He must be both ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood. And we'll find out in verse 21 that when there is not a man upon the earth who has been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood, the heavens are closed. And the opening of the heavens awaits a new dispensation being defined as uh, a man again being called by God and being ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood. Verse 20, therefore in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. So the power of godliness being manifest is a direct reference to the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. When we become Christ's sons and his daughters. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. Or in other words, when there is not a man to be found upon the earth, and this is a mortal man who's been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood, the heavens are closed, and it is not possible to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is possible to receive a baptism of fire but not the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and therefore it is impossible for a man or woman to enter into the rest of the Lord. Um, now, it is important to note that this ordinance, you know, when the heavens are open, when we are in an open dispensation, this ordinance can be performed by a man on this side of the veil or the other side of the veil. But if we are not in an open dispensation, um, the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost will not be performed by a man on the other side of the veil. And this is the state in which we found ourselves from the martyrdom of Joseph Smith until he returned and again received the apostolic order of the priesthood and had it sealed upon him.
At that point, the heavens again opened, and it began to be possible again to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know, it's all mapped out in 2 Nephi 31 and 32. And in 2 Nephi 31, verse 13, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father, that ye are willing to take upon you the name of Christ. So, um, in this verse, we have uh, several reasons why we don't receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, when we're eight. And the general reason is because we don't yet have enough life experience. For to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we must demonstrate that we follow Jesus Christ with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God. Well, this takes life experience. This takes actually having made mistakes, having repented, having accessed the power of the atonement in receiving forgiveness and being made whole. And then choosing the path of Christ because we know the difference. But with real intent, repenting of your sins. Again, you know, when we're eight years old, we haven't been accountable. Um, we don't have sins to repent of. It takes life experience to be able to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit. Now, continuing in verse 13. By baptism, yea, following your Lord and your Savior down into the water, according to his word, behold, then ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. Now, it's important to note that following your Lord and Savior down into the waters of baptism does not refer to the first baptism or baptism into the preparatory gospel, which is performed by the authority of the Aaronic priesthood. This baptism and is receiving that baptism of water, which can only be performed by the Melchizedek priesthood. And, you know, although John the Baptist, you know, presided over the Aaronic and Levitical orders, that was not all the priesthood that he had. He also had the apostolic order, Melchizedek priesthood, and that was the authority by which he baptized Jesus Christ. And it is baptism by water into the terrestrial order, which is the saving ordinance of baptism. Baptism by water by the Aaronic priesthood into the preparatory gospel is beneficial. And it is preparatory, but it is not the saving ordinance. And it is not what is being talked about in verse 13. Behold, then ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. And then cometh the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And then can ye speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. Well, we're going to find out in 2 Nephi 32 that to speak with the tongue of angels means to speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And this is one of the signs that is evident in a man or woman who has received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this is one of the reasons that 
I was adamant that I had already received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, when in reality, in retrospect, what I had received were baptisms of fire, but not the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now in verse 17, Wherefore do the things which I have told you, I have seen your Lord and your Redeemer should do. Well, if, if, we, if we back up and we read in verse 8 of 2 Nephi 31, Wherefore, after he was baptized with water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove. Now, the, the exact nature of what actually happened is being concealed in metaphor. For what actually happened is that after John the Baptist, who had the authority to baptize Christ with water into the terrestrial order of the gospel, um, had completed that responsibility, the man who officiated in the office of Holy Ghost came down from heaven and performed for Christ the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of Holy Ghost. And that is what is meant by the Holy Ghost descended in the form of a dove. And verse 9, And again it showeth unto the children of men the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter, he having set the example before them. No man, no woman, can enter into the kingdom of heaven without receiving both baptism by water into the terrestrial order and the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, precisely as Christ received them. And verse 10, And he said unto the children of men, Follow thou me. You know, meaning we must receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and baptism of water by one who has both the authority and power to perform these ordinances. And again, the voice of the Father in verse 11 said, Repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. And when the Father says, Repent and be baptized, he's not just talking about the baptism of water, but also of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Joseph Smith said, You might as well baptize a bag of sand if not done. Um, without the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So again, back in verse 17. Wherefore do the things which I have told you that I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do? For for this cause they have been shown unto me that ye might know the gate. Now, it's also important to understand that Second Nephi 31 and 32 is a commentary on Lehi's Tree of Life vision but at a much deeper level. So the gate through which we enter to get onto that straight and narrow path, which leads to the tree, is baptism by water into the terrestrial order of the gospel and the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we're going to find out that in verse 19 that there are actually two paths. There is one path that leads to the gate. Um, and that is the path of offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. 
And that brings us unto the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And once we have received it, then we're on that straight path where we are able to get to the tree who is Jesus Christ and to partake of the fruit which is eternal life. And the iron rod is the words of Christ that are placed into our heart after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which are given to us to instruct us of all things that we are due to come unto the tree or to part the veil, ascend to the seventh heaven, and come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and have him seal upon us our calling election made sure. The gate by which ye should enter, for the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and then cometh the remission of your sins by fire and the Holy Ghost. And then verse 18, and then are ye in this straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life, or the tree that Lehi and Nephi saw. Yea, ye have entered into Yea, ye, ye have entered in by the gate, and ye have done according to to the commandments of the Father and the Son. And ye have received the Holy Ghost, which witnesses of the Father and the Son, unto the fulfilling of the promise which he hath made, that if ye entered in by the way ye should receive. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, nay. And now it talks about that path which leads to the gate or the path of offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit. Ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ. And in verse 3 of chapter 32, the word of Christ is going to be defined as revelation. As you seek after and receive and act upon it. Save it were by the word of Christ with unshaken faith in him. So again, seeking after receiving and acting on revelation. Relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. And in verse 21, And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way and there is no other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can come and be saved in the kingdom of God. And often I hear people say, well, I have a current temple recommend. I was sealed in the temple. I'm fulfilling my church calling. Why would I put in the time and effort um, and lay everything upon the altar in order to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost? And the answer is, because there is no other way nor name given. And what does that mean? There is no other name given. Well, before the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we covenant that we're willing to take upon us the name of Christ, but we can't actually take upon us the name of Christ until the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because it's not until that time that Christ adopts us as his sons and his daughters. And when he does that, he then extends his name to us that we might actually not only be willing to take it upon us, but actually take upon us the name of Christ. So there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. 
and the only true doctrine of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. And if there is any church upon the earth that is based upon any other doctrine, it is not Christ's church. If any church is not based upon the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, receiving baptism by water by the proper power and authority, receiving baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost by proper power and authority, and then continuing on to be instructed and do what is required to enter into the rest of the Lord, it is not Christ's church. In fact, Christ declares that very principle in 3 Nephi 27. In 3 Nephi 27, Christ Christ gives two requirements for uh, a church to be his church. Starting in verse 7. Therefore, whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Therefore, ye shall call the church in my name. And ye shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless the church for my sake. And how be it my church, save it be called in my name. For if a church be called in the name of Moses, then it be Moses' church. And if it be called in the name of a man, then it be the church of a man. And if it be called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. So Christ gives us two requirements. One, that the church must be called in his name and that the church be built upon his gospel. For the church to be built upon his gospel, it must have his power and authority to perform the ordinance of baptism by water and baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And um, it must teach the path of ascension that after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, we are to be instructed by revelation about how to enter Christ's presence uh, in the fullness of his glory. And that's how you know a church is Christ's church. And so all of these requirements were met when Joseph Smith restored the terrestrial order of the gospel in 1829. Um, but we came under condemnation in 1832. And Christ took his name out of the church in 1834. And the official name of the church was renamed from the Church of Christ to the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And it was intended to be a shot across the bow to the Latter-day Saints. That there would be no way that they could not understand that because they had rejected their God through refusing to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, as is outlined in DNC 84, that Christ had put the members not only under condemnation, but in DNC 84, he promised that if the saints didn't repent and return, they would proceed from condemnation to covenant curse. And that is exactly what happened in 1834 when Christ took his name out of the church and we went from condemnation to covenant curse. And no longer did the church bear his name, but it did bear the name of the Latter-day Saints. And so, according to Christ, it was no longer his church, it was their church. It was the church of the members during Joseph Smith's day. And just as the children of Israel under Moses lost the 
apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, so did the early saints. Now, Joseph Smith did not lose the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And neither did those who were with him and were true and faithful in the holy order, um, who had ascended to the church of the firstborn and were ordained to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood on June 4th, 1831, or shortly thereafter. Um, But that only applied to two handfuls of men. But the 99.5% of church members in 1834, were demoted from the terrestrial to the telestial order. And they lost the power and authority to baptize with water into the terrestrial order and perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And if that was to happen after that point, it had to be performed by Joseph Smith or one of the men with him in the holy order. So going back to Second Nephi 32. And now behold, my beloved brethren, in verse 1, I suppose that ye ponder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which ye should do after ye have entered in by the way, or after ye have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and baptism by water into the terrestrial order. But behold, why do you ponder these things in your hearts? Do you not remember that I said unto you that after ye had received the Holy Ghost, you could speak with the tongue of angels? And now, how could you speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Now, traditionally in the church, we define the iron rod and the words of Christ as the words of true prophets and the words of Scripture. And while these are words of Christ, that is not what is being referred to in this context, and that is not what the iron rod is. The iron rod and feasting upon the words of Christ is revelation that will be put into your heart and into your mind after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, to instruct you in all things, specifically to bring you back into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory in this life. Verse 4, wherefore now after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it will be because you ask not, neither do ye knock. Wherefore, ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. For, after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the only way to continue on the path of ascension is to ask and to knock. And if you stop there, if you stop at the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will never enter into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory while in the flesh or even in the next life. For behold, again, I see unto you that if you will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what you should do. Again, this is what feasting upon the words of Christ is. It is asking, it is knocking. It is receiving and acting, not only drawing close to God with our lips, but also with our hearts. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. Now, there are many who think this has reference to Christ's appearance to the Nephites in 600 years, but it does not. 
when one remembers that Second Nephi 31 and 32 is a commentary on Lehi's Tree of Life vision, and that the gate through which we must pass to get on the path whereby we might be able to hold to the iron rod, which is revelation, and come to the tree who is Christ in his glory and partake of the fruit, which is having him seal upon us our calling and election. Um, this Nephi has just brought us to the point of coming to the tree, the tree being Christ. Um, manifesting himself unto us in the flesh is in our flesh. This is, you know, before we pass on to the other side of the veil, that we have the opportunity for ascension. And then Christ will teach us directly, and the things which he shall tell us shall we observe to do. So, I now found that the doctrine of Christ was laid out before me. I now found that the roadmap that I had been searching for ever since I was a missionary about how to uh, behold the face of God in this life was laid bare. And that everything hinged upon the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, I was virtually certain that I had ever received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. A lot of it was due to my own pride, which is the opposite of a broken heart and contrite spirit. But I could legitimately look back upon my life on times when I had been born again, times when I had been spoken with the tongue of angels, times when I'd been filled with fire, times when I'd been filled with electricity. Um, and, you know, spiritual experience is so powerful, I could not conceive of the possibility of having the Spirit any more strongly. So, one day, I'm sitting in church, and the Spirit is impressing so heavily upon me the necessity to find out for certain that I walk out of the church building, and I say a prayer on the church grounds, and I ask, Father, have I received the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost? And I'm shocked. When the answer comes back loud and clear, no. I went, oh, all my pride was deflated, which is really useful when you're trying to come to a broken heart and contrite spirit. And so I said, okay, Father, I now covenant with you that I give you permission to give me whatever experiences I yet lack to come unto a broken heart and contrite spirit that I might receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I'm ready for the next experience to start right now. And I lay everything upon the altar, everything I am, everything I have, everything I'll become, my will and my life. And while in retrospect, the Lord in earnest started giving me all these experiences, you know, back in 2000, uh, for a six month period, uh, things became really intense as Father gave me the rest of the experiences I needed to come unto a broken heart and contrite spirit at this level. Um, because the key to ascension, whatever level you're on, is always a broken heart and contrite spirit. After you've received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the way to receive the second comforter is through a broken heart and contrite spirit. After you've received the second comforter, the way to ascend to the church of Enoch, which is the level of a translated being, which... For most, even if they ascend to that level, it won't actually happen 
the physical transformation until the morning of the first resurrection. But the way to ascend to that level is again through a broken heart and contrite spirit. Christ, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he entered again into that covenant with his father of a broken heart and contrite spirit. When he said, Father, when I was upon the Mount of Transfiguration, I saw the earth upon which you were a savior. And I saw the moment that your father withdrew his spirit from you. And I saw you cry out in agony that it was almost more than you could bear. And so the son said to his father, Father, I don't know if I can bear that. And since I don't have all of the veils yet removed from me, if there is another way, let's go with that other way. However, if there is no other way, I submit my will to thy will. And even though I cannot fathom it, I will trust in you. Christ's very last act you know, on this earth was an act of complete submission of his will to Father's will, or in other words, Christ offered up his broken heart and his contrite spirit to Father. So, the Lord didn't waste any time giving me the rest of the experiences that I needed. He started almost immediately. And six months later, I awakened one morning. And the Spirit said to me, what are you willing to sacrifice? And I said, what am I willing to sacrifice? Over the last six months, I've had to sacrifice quite a lot. And the Spirit said, no, I don't mean external. I mean internally. What are you willing to sacrifice? And I said, well, in addition to everything, because I can tell you're looking for something specific, here's what I'm willing to sacrifice internally. And then the Spirit said, you're going to be offering a prayer today, and you better prepare for it. I didn't know why. I didn't know when. But I was given the subject, and the subject was Pentecost, the day on which Christ's 12 apostles and shortly thereafter, the Gentiles received the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost after Christ's resurrection. So, as providence would have it, that evening I had been invited to a celebration of holy days. And the holy day that was being celebrated was Pentecost. And I was in a room packed full of people. And there were all kinds of people there. There were stake presidents. There were BYU professors. There was a woman who worked with Mother Teresa in India and everybody in between. And I'm sitting on the front row and I'm listening to a BYU professor give a presentation on Pentecost and my heart catches on fire. Now, this was not unlike other baptisms of fire that I had previously had in my life. And when I started having this baptism of fire, the spirit said to me, you are to offer the prayer you've been preparing for all day long as soon as he finishes his presentation. And I said, well, Father, this hardly seems like the time or the place. I'm in front of a room full of people whom I don't know. There's an organized and printed program, and I'm not on it. And uh, after his, his presentation, you know, there isn't a break for a prayer. Um, but so powerful was the impression of the Spirit that I just said, okay, Father, I will find a way. And as soon as I said that, the Spirit told me exactly what to do. The Spirit said, well, as soon as he finishes, 
lean over to the woman sitting next to you who organized the event and ask her if you can offer a prayer. So as soon as the professor finished, before I could lean over to the woman sitting next to me, she leaned over to me and she said, would you offer a prayer? Now, how does that happen except by the spirit, especially because it was um, off program? And so I kneeled down, but the spirit couldn't let me off quite that easy. The spirit said, you're not just going to pray. You're going to cry out unto God. And as you cry out unto God, you're going to raise your hands above your head. And I just gulped. And I thought, these people are going to run me out on a rail. But I was obedient. And the first 30 seconds of that prayer was a prayer of preparation. And then a transition took place as it transitioned from a prayer of preparation to a prayer of revelation. And it was no longer me talking. It was almost as if I was sitting across from me just listening to what was coming out of my mouth, for it was far beyond my own power and capacity to utter. And as soon as the Spirit took over and it became a prayer of revelation, that fire that had engulfed my heart, it spread to my entire body. And now my body was on fire. And then it felt like someone took a sword and lunged deep into my chest. And now part of me was starting to die. And then it felt like I took hold of two high voltage power electrical lines and I started to be electrocuted. So my body was on fire. I had a sword in my chest. Part of me was dying and I was being electrocuted. Once all three of these things were going on at once, the spirit said powerfully to me, you are receiving the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And immediately I knew why none of my prayer baptisms of fire had been the baptism of fire and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It was the most overwhelming, powerful spiritual experience of my life, of which I had had many. Well, as soon as the Spirit finished crying out through me, I sit back in my chair and I slunch down, being completely overwhelmed by what's taking place, because the full intensity is still roaring forward. Well, the woman who asked me to say the prayer, she leans over to me again, and she said, I feel electricity coming off of your body. Well. At some point that night, I feel a faint spark of rebirth, and it was almost like a balanced scale between birth and death, as the feeling of being born again became stronger and stronger, and the feeling of death and dying became just a little bit less. Well, it continued as I was driving home that night, and I really shouldn't have been driving because I was driving under the influence of the Spirit, and I barely made it home. And it continued until I fell asleep. Well, I awakened the next morning, and I wasn't the same man that I had been the prior morning when I had awakened. Every cell in my body cried out in testimony. You have been born again a son of God. And so I opened the scriptures to see what this change would mean. And what the day before had been like turning on the kitchen faucet in terms of thoughts, ideas, and impressions that came into my mind as I would read. And after my experience with an angel a year earlier, um, the revelatory process that I received after I, uh, or when I would pray and open the scriptures, it increased dramatically. But comparing that increase to the increase that I was experiencing now was like comparing turning on the kitchen faucet to multiple fire hoses being turned on. Then I knelt to pray. And that two-way connection with heaven that usually takes a lot of time and effort and battle and struggle to achieve, it seemed to come almost immediately. 
Well, the next morning I awakened and I was still changed. And the next morning I awakened and I was still changed. That weekend was Avraham Gileadi's first Zion conference at UVU. And I was out in the foyer. And the woman in whose home I had been at, she recognized me. She comes up to me and she says, wow, what a powerful outpouring of the spirit we had the other night. It's too bad that that intensity can't remain with us. And the only thing that I could do was look at her and say, for me, it has remained. Well, as I contemplated that day about what was next, well, I knew what was next. After the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, one is to start seeking after the revelation about what God would have them do to part the veil and enter into his presence in the fullness of his glory. And as soon as I had that thought, immediately the voice of the adversary came to my mind and said, who do you think you are? What an audacious thought. And so I, I contemplated, man, am I being so prideful that I could even think that I could start working on entering into the rest of the Lord? And so I, I texted a good friend, and he texted me back, and he said, the Lord loves audacious, and that was all I needed to hear. No longer would I look to the right or the left, but only straight ahead. And two weeks later, I went down to an area in central Utah called the Parowan Gap. And Parowan Gap is an ancient temple site. Carbon dating takes it back to about 3000 BC. There are ancient petroglyphs all over the rocks denoting calendar events and sacred geometry. Uh, the gap perfectly marks the equinoxes and the solstices. Polaris sits perfectly upon the north point of the gap. And there is an ancient blood and peace altar on both sides. And so I wanted, and you know, uh, a small group of men, we were seeking to uh, develop even a closer relationship with Christ. And we wanted to separate ourselves from the world for a few days and just focus on um, worshiping God and following the Spirit. So, the first thing the Spirit instructed us to do was to build an altar, which we did. And then the Spirit said, pitch the doors of your tent so that they face the altar, which we did. Then we spent the remainder of that evening sitting in our camp chairs around the altar, reading scripture, relating spiritual experiences, and singing hymns. And the, the plan was that we were going to retire to our tents that night. And each man was going to have an all-night prayer. And then we were going to assemble again at 4 a.m. and continue our group uh, worship. Well, as I retired to my tent, a storm came in that evening. And the temperature fell down into the 30s. And I was not dressed for 30-degree weather. And my all-night prayer lasted for a few hours in those conditions. But pretty soon, I was so cold, I could not take it anymore. And I crawled into my sleeping bag. Well, to be able to take off enough time to go down to Parowan Gap for a few days, I had to stay up all night, three nights. And I didn't get to catch up on any of that sleep. So I was literally physically ill with lack of sleep. And if you're going to have an all-night prayer, having missed three nights of sleep, you better not crawl, crawl into your sleeping bag. Because my all-night prayer lasted about 15 more minutes, and I was out cold. And instead of awaking at 3.30 so I could be up and out by 4, my eyes didn't open again until 9 a.m. And I felt terribly guilty. I thought, 
you know, I worked so hard to get here. Now I've just blown my opportunity for a powerful spiritual experience. And I poke my head out of my tent. I look for any of the other men. Nobody's there. But I do see a neighboring foothill, and the spirit prompts me that I should go to the top of this foothill. And when I make it to the top, I see all of the other men that had been up there for hours doing whatever they were doing, and now they're ready to come down. And I'm just feeling even more guilty now. As I'm coming down, um, the spirit says, take the sacrament. So again, we sit in our camp chairs around the altar and we partake the sacrament. And as the sun is coming up over the horizon and shining down on me, and as I am seeking to again enter into covenant to take Christ's name upon me, it initiates a brand new baptism of fire. And I have, just like the night I had my baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, I had an overwhelming desire to pray. So I fall upon my knees and I start crying out unto God. And as a brief explanation, there are three, there are three different levels that we can have experiences with deity at. Um, the first is a type one visionary experience. And when our spirit's in our body, our body creates static and interference. Our body's a veil for our spiritual eyes. However, we can start opening our spiritual eyes and seeing what's on the other side of the veil right around us or someplace else. Um, but things are usually very dim, not a lot of detail. Or we may just see a flash or a glimpse, but we are actually opening our spiritual eyes. And this is called a type one vision. Now, it's the most common visionary experience. Now, a type two experience encompasses a much broader range of experiences. It can include an actual physical interaction with Christ, like the Nephites had in 3 Nephi 11, or like the apostles had, where Christ had to set aside his glorified celestial glory and condescend with only a modicum of telestial glory when he appeared to his apostles and to the Nephites. Um, it can also include a near-death experience, even a near-death experience where one is taken up into the heavens, but in a near-death experience, one is not taken up into the seventh heaven, but if one's taken up into the heavens, it's, it's one of the lower heavens. For to be taken up into the seventh heaven, uh, a baptism of fire, baptism of Holy Ghost, a brand new baptism of fire and a transfiguration is required. And if all of those things have not just happened to the individual who is having a near-death experience, they cannot be taken up into the seventh heaven where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory, although they may in one of the lower heavens. It can include a daytime waking high-definition vision. It can also include a prophetic or revelatory dream. Now, Joseph Smith's first vision is an example of a type 2 vision. Um, Lehi, at the time he had his baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost in 1 Nephi chapter 1, when he saw and heard much, and it caused him to quake and tremble. And then he went back to his tent, or back to his house, and he laid upon his bed, and he pondered, um, and he had a vision open up to him. You know, these were also experiences of type 2 visions. Now, a type 3 experience is different. 
A type three experience does require the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not only that, but it requires a brand new baptism of fire directly preceding it. And it requires that the baptism of fire um, continue into a transfiguration or the glory of God coming upon a man or woman, you know, after a baptism of fire, after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, a type three experience is described in Moses chapter one. And in Moses chapter one, verse one, the words of God, which he spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was caught up to an exceedingly high mountain. And he saw God face to face and he talked with him and the glory of God was upon Moses. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence. Now, Moses wasn't just seeing up into the heavens. He wasn't. And this was not an earthly mountain. This was the heavenly mountain or what Enoch and Isaiah referred to as the seventh heaven or that place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. And it said that he saw God face to face and the glory of God was upon him. Or in other words, Moses was transfigured. So prior to this at the burning bush, Moses had received his baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. He had to have received a brand new baptism of fire. And now the baptism of fire has, has progressed to a transfiguration. Therefore, he was taken up to the seventh heaven. Um, and, you know, in the Book of Mormon, the seventh heaven is referred to as the high mountain in First Nephi 11 and in Moses chapter 1. And it's in Isaiah or the ascension of Isaiah that Isaiah refers to the seventh heaven. And it's in the book of Enoch that Enoch refers to uh, the seventh heaven. And uh, the seventh heaven is also referred to in many apocryphal works. Now verse nine, and the presence of God withdrew from Moses that his glory was not upon Moses. And Moses was left unto himself. And as he was left unto himself, he fell unto the earth. Um, when transfiguration ends, you can't stay in Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And then in verse 10, and it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength, like unto man. And he said unto himself, now for this cause, I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. So this is also a grand key. When one comes into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, it is not a casual experience. And one does not describe it in casual terms. As never before, Moses realized that great gulf that separated him from Christ. And he realized as never before how desperately he needed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And this sentiment is reflected by the Nephites in 3rd Nephi chapter 11. Although this was a type 2 experience and not an ascension experience, it does encapsulate the feeling of awe and respect that one has when coming into Christ's presence in his glory. Verse 13 in 3rd Nephi 11. Lord spake unto them, saying, Arise, and come forth unto me, that ye may thrust your hands into my side, and also that ye may feel the prints of the nails in my hands and in my feet, 
that ye may know that I am the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and have been slain for the sins of the world. And it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side, and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do going forth one by one, until they had all gone forth, and did see with their eyes, and did feel with their hands, and did know of a surety, and did bear record, that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. And when they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, they did cry out with one accord, saying, Hosanna, which means, oh, God, save us now. Blessed be the name of the Most High God. And they did fall down at the feet of Jesus and did worship him. And when one comes into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, this feeling is greatly magnified. Because one can understand to an even greater extent the terrible price and the awful gulf that separates us from Christ. And one can experience the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ in the heavens in a way that is not possible on this telestial earth. And in verse 11, we gain some very important information about what it is to have an ascension experience. But now mine own eyes have beheld God, but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. For my natural eyes could not have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. Or in other words, we can't take our physical body into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory until we're translated. But before we're translated, we can have an ascension experience. After the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, after a brand new baptism of fire, which progresses to transfiguration, our spirit can be taken from our body up into the seventh heaven, and we can come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And so, the heavens are again opened. We live at a special time in the earth's history where God is gathering his gatherers, and the work of the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house has commenced. In preparation for the return of Joseph Smith, and his leading that end-time exodus that will culminate in meeting up with Enoch, his city and establishment of New Jerusalem. And the very foundations of the bondage, which the entire world is going to go into, we see being laid right now. And it will not be long before we have come into that level of bondage prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, where if we were not delivered from it by the Lord's end time servant, we would not survive. And the thing that will get us through what is coming is the new and everlasting covenant, offering up our broken heart and contrite spirit. For as we do that, the Spirit will be poured out upon us in full weight and measure until the day that we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and Christ extends his name to us, and we are able to take it upon us. And for many, that experience will happen very close to the time of the Exodus. And for most who will have the second comforter experience, 
before meeting up with Enoch and his city. That will actually occur on the end time exodus. When? After the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. We then qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with us and help us ascend one more level to the church of the firstborn level. So that when we do meet up with Enoch and his city, we are actually able to go into New Jerusalem. And as a cross-reference, DNC 77, verse 11. What are we to understand by the sealing of the 144,000 out of all the tribes of Israel? 12,000 out of every tribe? Answer. We're to understand that those who are sealed are high priests, ordained to the holy order of God, to administer the everlasting gospel. For they are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth, to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. So on that end time exodus, it will be our mission to work shoulder to shoulder with Joseph Smith and the end time servants in declaring the fullness of the doctrine of Christ to the four quarters of the earth, to everybody who qualifies for deliverance from destruction, that they might have the opportunity to either accept or reject the doctrine of Christ. And as we are ministering and bringing all who will into the church of Christ, we also will be being ministered to by the 144,000 and will be aided in our own path of ascension to ascend into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. That we might become members of the church of the firstborn and qualify to enter into New Jerusalem as it is established. This I bear witness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.